save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to look at your neighbor and just go, whew, it's cold outside. <laughs> but, look at that neighbor and say, but, it's warm in here. Unless you're sitting under the fan, and then it's not so warm. So It's kind of fun that we can say, are you cold today? <laughs> Before we've been saying, come on, AC, work. All right. I hope that you've enjoyed our series that we've been doing together. I know I have. These spiritual disciplines are important. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21 here in just a few minutes. So if you have those Bibles you held up or your electronic devices, just tune in there. Uh, I just think it's awesome that we have the Bible on some of these electronic devices, um, especially on our phones. This uh, version that I promote to you all the time, uh, if you don't have that, you need to have that. Uh, it has daily Bible reading plans that you can select from. And some of you say, well, I hate to read. Got it. I got good news for you. That has an audio version or audio uh, segment to it also. So you just push the little audio button in the uh, bottom right corner and he'll just read it to you. So I've taken all your excuses away. I guess the next thing you'll say is, well, I can't really hear anything. I'm sorry, I can't spoon feed you. The, what's that? They do make hearing aids for that. Amen. That's right. Doesn't matter how little you are. Amen. Thank you, Tyler, for bailing me out there. I appreciate it. But in a minute, we'll be at 2 Corinthians 5, so hold that in readiness. It goes without saying that the responsibility of every Christian is to share his or her faith with other people. Would you say amen to that? Good. And at the most elementary level, evangelism is simply talking to people with the intention that they will somehow, in some way, embrace Jesus Christ and allow Him to become their personal Lord and Savior. Amen? That's what it is. The primary function of a disciple of Jesus Christ is to make other disciples and to expand the kingdom of God. We are to witness, we are to share, and we are to bring Christ to them. But it's rapidly becoming one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines of all. And it's because it's one of the most difficult things to do. There are many reasons why people don't share their faith. Let me just give you a few. First of all, it's politically politically incorrect to do it. We live in a world that is becoming increasingly tolerant of every religious view except Christianity. Christians are being badgered into believing that telling other people that Jesus is the only way is arrogant or somehow disrespectful to those other religious views. There's no room in Christianity for other gods or other pathways to God. The reason I know that is what John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Now those are Jesus' words. How do I know that? 
Well, they're written in red. That's how I know that. Isn't that what your Bible says? It's written in red. But that's an exclusive statement. Very exclusive. It means that Jesus is the only way. And we can't go about being politically correct when we have a command of God or a statement from Jesus that is exclusive. Another reason people don't share their faith is, number two, the philosophy of the day, which for most it's postmodernism. Now, I've put a handout in your bulletin that is a little table or chart that you can look at later and it'll help you go to sleep as you read it. Because postmodernism, people go, what's he talking about? It's a philosophy that is permeating our culture today, but it says, in a nutshell, there are no absolute truth. There is no absolute truth. And if there were an absolute truth, we couldn't know it anyway. Whatever we call truth is nothing more than cultural, situational values which are born out of the community. So whatever your community lives for or has values about, that's okay with the postmodern people. See it permeating the churches. And Christians unconsciously give way to this thinking, not being really equipped to answer questions. There's many big good books out there on postmodernism, but I hope this chart I put in your bulletin will help you. A third reason people don't share their faith is just fear. Absolute fear. They don't want to be not liked by their friends. Because if you're a Christian and you start sharing your faith, some of your friends aren't going to like it. For a very, varied amount of reasons. They don't want to give up any of their lifestyle they've grown accustomed to. They don't want to give up Sunday morning. Sunday morning is when I sleep in. And as I've challenged you before, if you feel sleepy, just lean forward. We'll think you're praying. It won't be a big deal. We have padded tops on the chairs. If you want to just go up there, man, we'll really think you're praying. Now, the drill, the, the drill spot on the carpet might give you away, but <laughs> it seems like more people are like Peter when Jesus was on trial than like Peter at Pentecost. They love Jesus, but only... When it's convenient. Only when it's convenient will I love Jesus. They're afraid of what it will cost them to be identified with Him. And so they become, so to speak, secret agents for Christ. And we might know, but boy, when it's just right, I'll jump out and be that person. Others fail to share the good news just because they have somehow, through scriptural gymnastics convince themselves that it's not their responsibility. After all, they don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism, so I'm absolved of it. Sorry. Doesn't work. We're under compulsion. We're under encouragement and commandment of Jesus to witness. But so many are fearful and can't do it. But I would say that some fall short of sharing the gospel because they really nothing, have nothing more than head knowledge of God. Because you cannot share what you have not experienced. You can't do it. If you've not really been saved, you're not going to be able to tell somebody else what it means. 
If you can't do that, if you're not excited about one day you were at the pits of hell and now you're at the throne of God, whoo, <laughs> if you can't figure that out, you need to get right with God. Maybe we need to run you through again. I jokingly tell people when we baptize you, we'll do the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and hold you until the bubbles quit coming up, and we'll get all the sin out of your life. Amen. No Toast Joe. Any of you remember No Toast Joe? The young man we had in our church for a while in a wheelchair. Uh, lost his legs from the just above the knees down on both sides. And we're baptizing him. I had him hop down into the water and I had him uh, perch on a chair. And we were just going to lean the chair back. And when we got in, both of us were pretty big guys and the water started going through the overflow and you could hear it. And Joe, Joe looked at me and he said, Oh man, there are my sins going down the drain. I said, I better hold you under a little longer, brother. Joe, great servant of God, though. Boy, he come out of the water a new man. That's what it's all about. Let me, t- let me give you some scriptures. Uh, I think we have them on the overhead. You can read along with me. That will give us an idea that God wants us to share the good news with people. Proverbs 11.30. We read it earlier. The, or, or we should have read it earlier, but we didn't. But here's the, here's the verse. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. Daniel 12:3 and those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heavens and those who lead to uh, the many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. Malachi 1:11 for from the rising of the sun even to its setting my name will be great among the nations and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations says the Lord of hosts. Matthew 24:14 And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations and then the end shall come. Matthew 28:19 Here's the command. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. John 20:21 20, Jesus before he ascended to the Father, he commissioned all of us by saying this, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And had the disciples not taken that serious, you and I would never know Jesus. But we do. Most of us in this room are Gentiles and not Jews. Amen? So you would have never got it had the disciples decided to act like most of us do and huddle up and keep the message to ourselves. They took it out and they shed it and shared it. And the thing that's interesting is they weren't going to go and share it until God created, let a persecution happen. He didn't create it, he let it happen so that it would scatter the Christians. And so as they scattered and left Jerusalem, they took Jesus with them. And so it is for us. When you get up in the morning and scatter out of your house, take Jesus with you. Find an opportunity. When you stop at Quick Trip to get that coffee to get you woke up, talk to the person checking you out. They can count change back faster than anybody I've ever seen in my life. And you go, I think I got it all. I don't know. But you're afraid because they're on to the next person. I mean, they're moving like wildfire. It'd be fun just to throw in there, hey, you go to church anywhere? I think you'd overload their circuit. They wouldn't know what to do. But it'd be fun. Let's give it a try. It's really at the heart of what Paul has told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. It says this, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I, lived, uh, I too lived under the law. 
Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I live to live, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. And when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share its blessings. That's Paul's heart. Wherever he was, he shared. Wherever he was, he shared. And in these five verses, the word when or save is used six different times. It's clear that Paul understood the call to follow Christ and to share the good news, share that gospel with other people. And throughout Paul's teachings, there's a, a, a recurring theme that he would share. Not only here in 1 Corinthians, but then in our text in 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 5, as I mentioned. And we're going to focus on verses 11 through 21. A little lengthy, but let's read it together. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Uh, since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive His new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating ourselves from human points of view. And at one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know Him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new per a person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Verse 20, So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Throughout this whole chapter, Paul's train of thought here leads us to the latter part of and the, and the previous parts of this chapter. There are <coughs> great messages that Paul is trying to uh, convey and affirm with us in this chapter. He says in verse 6, for instance, that we should be encouraged, confident, as we walk by faith and not by sight, even though we want physically to be with Jesus, which is our goal, which is our aim, our ambition, but our goal should be to live for Him, to live as He wants us to live, to be pleasing to Him. He says in verse 10 that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and each will be rewarded or repaid according to what we did while we're on earth. Good or bad. Now let me, let me stop a minute and get a drink and let you wrap your mind around that idea. Both good and bad. 
Think about that. We're going to be held accountable for what we do or don't do. That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? But it doesn't have to be. Now, it's an important verse, verse 10. And it speaks to the reality of a day of reckoning. A day when not only will we be called to account for how we spent the substance of our lives, but we will be dealt with accordingly. The rest of what he says in this chapter hinges on that awareness. This conscious thought that we are going to stand and give account to Jesus for what we did while we're on earth. And then he moves into verses 11 through 21 that we just read. Where he focuses our attention. And where we're focusing our attention this morning. But everything looks back to the reality of verse 10. That we have to stand before God and give an account. This passage is one of the richest in scripture. Particularly is, is so in respect to what the gospel is. And our responsibility to share it. And that's the primary focus I want to leave you with today. And there's several things here that I want you to notice. Several motivating reasons why we should share the gospel. Let's launch into those. Number one, we share the good news of Jesus with others because we live in the presence of God. How would it change our lives if we were so consciously aware that every word we spoke, every deed we did was something we were not only going to have to explain, but something for which we would either be rewarded or reprimanded. If we live that way, we might live just a little differently. Amen? And the truth of the matter is, that's what's going to happen. That's the truth. Paul was walking in fellowship with Christ to the degree that he was aware, he was conscious of God's presence, especially Jesus' presence with him and Willful disobedience was not an option, not for Paul. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we, pers we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, he says. In other words, God knew his heart. God saw beyond the actions and he looked at the heart. So if God opens your chest and looks at your heart, what does he see? Does he see a divided heart? Or does he see a heart in unity, in harmony with his son Jesus Christ? Well, that's a question you're going to have to answer. Because it's true for me as well. Sharing our faith is not something we simply do because we have to. It's something we do because we know the truth about heaven, about eternity. And why, if you had a cure for cancer and you kept it to yourself, shame on you. Amen? Well, somebody would find you and beat you up to get that information. But boy, you know, I've, I've got it. I'm not going to give it to anybody. That's the way we are with Jesus. We've got the greatest answer to life's problems in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what do we do? Nope, nope, that's fine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it. Nope, 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 nope. You can't get it out of me. No. Don't force it. No. I'll twist your arm. Okay. You're going to tell me. No. I'm going to break your arm. Okay. Isn't that us? That's us. When it ought to just flow out of us. 
And I'll just flow out of you. You don't have anybody have to worry about what, what you are. They already know what you are. Just tell them. If you're living your life the way Jesus wants you to live your life, they're already going to know. And so it'll be easy to share because they'll expect you to share. The tragedy is they know and we don't say nothing. We don't say nothing. Now in verse 14, he says, For the love of Christ controls us, which is just to our second reason we share the good news of Jesus, because we're possessed by and controlled by the love of Christ. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have. Finish it. It's not have a happy, a happy life. It's not have enough to get by. He died so that we could, what? Have eternal life. A forever life with God. That's why He sent Him. That's why He died for us. Hallelujah. And we shouldn't perish. Romans 5, 8 says, God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, that's a powerful verse. You see, it was love that sent Jesus to the cross. It was love. Now I have a hard time with that. I have three sons. I'm not sure which one of them I would be able to give up and send to die for some people that I don't want him to die for. You know, I look around at some of the people in our lives and I'm, I mean, you know, there's some of them that I think we could die for. Amen? And then there's others you're going, hmm, I don't think so. Because I'm flawed in my judgment. Thank God I had a Savior who wasn't. He wasn't flawed in his focus. His focus was about me and about you and about salvation and reconciling us back to our Heavenly Father. The word control in the New Testament carries the idea of pushing on every side and constraining. Pushing and constraining, holding and when you watch football, that's what defenses try to do. They try to contain and constrain offenses from moving the ball. And if they can't run the ball, then they pass the ball. And if they can't pass the ball, they're in trouble. Because that defense has constrained them and is controlling them. Unless you get a real fast guy that can take off down the field. And a quarterback who has enough time to throw the ball 95 yards in the air. Sam Bradford did that on one of the preseason games. 83-yard touchdown pass. And the guy was running in full stride and just reached his hands up and boop, the ball fell right in there. And it was leading him so much that he almost fell down after he caught it. Those are beautiful things to watch. To watch him contained. To watch him constrained. And God wants us to understand that's how we're supposed to live our lives. Luke 8.45, Jesus was touched by a woman with a hemorrhage. And he said, who is the one who touched me? I love Peter's response. Master, the multitudes are crowding and pressing upon you. What do you mean who touched you? I think Peter wanted to go over to, what's wrong with you, Jesus? The word pressing is the same word that we get in the original language. And the idea is that God's love is such a compelling force in the life of Jesus that He knew when somebody in need was touched by Him. It drained from Him. And we need to have that in us. We need to know where people are so much that it, His love drains out of us into others. 
I had a counselor tell me one time that one, that one th thing that happens to caregivers, and, and she, uh, she was talking about pastors and others like us, is that we tend to give so much of ourselves away that we don't take care of ourselves. And those of you that have had ill parents, you know what I'm talking about. You give so much of yourself that sometimes you need some R&R. &R. You need to recuperate. You need to refresh. Oh, but I, I just can't leave. Well, I just, oh, they can't do without me. Pull your puckered lip in and realize that they'll get by okay. But what if they die while I'm gone? Death is something we'll all face. I, heard, I had a lady one time tell me she was really sick and she looked at me and I didn't know, I was a young preacher, I really didn't know what to pray. But I was feebly, feebly working through a prayer and at the end I said amen. She looked up at me. First word she said was, you know preacher, some things are worse than death. Some things are worse than death. And she was trying to tell me the condition I'm in is a whole lot worse than dying. I'm ready to go. Because you see, if you're ready to go, whoop, I'm out of here. What do we sing that song? This world is not my home. I'm just, you know, we bounce our heads every time we sing it. Yeah, that's right. Because we don't want to hang around here. This whole world doesn't have anything for us, does it? It's getting worse all the time. But if you're a believer in Christ, then you're ready to go. Hello. <laughs> Let's do it. The love of, of Christ should compel us. Verses 14 and 15. Having concluded this, that once one died for all, therefore all died, and he died all for all that they may, they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Leads us into the third reason why we should share the good news is because we are no longer living for ourselves. We're living for him who died for us and rose on our behalf. It really can't get any more plain than that, can it? He's talking about dying to ourselves and finding our new life in Christ. This is what we talk about when we baptize people. And we say in Romans 6, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. And in context, verses 4 and 5 of Romans 6, Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. And what I love about those verses is that it shows us a picture. It shows us a picture of a burial, a death and a burial, and a resurrection. And the promise is attached in verse 5. If we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, which in context it refers to baptism, then we shall certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Wow, it's a powerful, powerful word pictures given to us there. There's nothing special about the water. Trust me. Nothing special about the water. We even have to throw chemical in it to keep it cleaned up. Nothing about the water. But it's about what's going on in the water. That's the most important thing. But Paul's point here is that Jesus who lives in us and through us, if in fact we've died to ourselves and lived for him, then our lives are spent serving him and not ourselves. Verse 17, where he says, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. Captures the essence of Romans 6. The person who's come to know Christ, the person who's been made new, has a new outlook on life, a new mission or purpose for living. 
Instead of living for themselves, now they live every moment and every day for Jesus. And they find ways that they can share Jesus with everyone they encounter. And that even means working on some of my old habits that I've got to stop and change and adjust. But I'm going to try to do that so I can live for Christ in a more effective way. Verses 18 through 20 gives us another reason for sharing the gospel. It says, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us. And we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Number four, the good reason we share the good news, that we've been assigned that job of helping others make peace with God. That's what reconciliation is. Reconciliation is bringing peace into hostility. Making peace the rule of the day. Marriage counselors face it all the time. I mean, you know, after, after the, uh, uh, the couples have said, I do, and the honeymoon glow's faded, something goes wrong, somebody says something, somebody does something, somebody doesn't say something, somebody doesn't do, do something, and all of a sudden they've got chaos in the house, and counselors are constantly trying to get them both to focus back on Christ. And when they do that, a good Christian counselor will do that. If you're going to see a counselor, see a Christian counselor, because they'll help you focus back on Christ. If he's in the center, you'll be able to make it. But if you're only working your own strength, I'm not giving in, I'm not giving in, I'm digging my heels in, that guy's going to do this, that gal's going to do that. You got, you're never going to win. It takes compromise on both sides, doesn't it? See, I used to say it was 50-50. I tell you right now, it's 100-100. You're all in. And if you're all in, you're going to make it work. I have couples say to me, divorce is not an option for us. I make them say it out loud. And then within a year, they divorce. So then I call them, and I say, you lied to me. You lied to me. Your word is worthless. I've said that to two couples. They haven't talked to me since. Oh, well. Truth hurts, doesn't it? If you say you're going to do something, be a person of your word. Be a person of your word. If you say, I'm going to give you a hug Tuesday afternoon at 4 o'clock, you better show up at 4 with your arms open. If you say, I'm going to come to the church and I'm going to do this or do that, or yada, yada, you fill in the blank. Show up! It really gets tough when believers start each other out. That's when it really gets tough, doesn't it? <laughs> because you see, believers, a believer will feel... Bad for another believer and want to help him out. I had to, I've told you about the guy that came through here, didn't I? Oh, man, he was all over Creflo Dollar's church out in Atlanta and all this stuff. But he needed help here. <laughs> I kept saying to him, well, if you're a member at Creflo's church, won't you call him? He made $68 million three years ago. I bet he still got a little left over. I said, just call the man. He'll send you a check right now. Oh, no, he had to have some help right here from a local pastor. So I helped him. Two days later, he's back in my office. Want some more? I said, you're, a, you're not a man of integrity. Oh, he didn't like that. I looked him right in the eye and I said, you told me two days ago that you were going to Atlanta on the money that I gave you to buy a bus ticket. Hung his head. Why? Because he's proven he's a liar. Caught him in his lie. And then when you expose the lie, the cockroaches run. We are ambassadors for Christ. 
But God is being rich in His mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, sent Jesus to die for us, to pay the penalty of our sins. Is that not awesome? Verse 21, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Woo! Jesus bridged the gap, brought us back to the Father, and we can throw our hands up and rejoice. We can rejoice. He poured all of our punishment upon His Son, Jesus. kind of makes you wonder, when you get a new Christian who comes in, boy, they are on fire, aren't they? I mean, they're telling everybody about the Lord. They're telling the, the policeman. They're telling the guy at Quick Trip. They're telling their co-workers. They're telling their family. They're trying to get anybody to come to church, everybody to come to church, because they found Jesus, right? Makes you wonder what happens to all of us that have been at it for a while. <laughs> what happened to us? Did we, did we lose the zeal? Are we not as saved now as we were then? Ah, oh, got a little life under our belt. Got a little, got a little world still floating around inside of us. I don't know. I see a lot when I take the kids to CIY every summer. More they go through a week of CIY and they come back. Oh, they're going to tear it up. Oh, they're coming on. We get to the jinx exit. Cell phones out. They're calling their old friends and they're back to the old ways. I see it all the time. I see it in adults. I see it in adults. Why don't we have revival meetings in churches anymore? Nobody will come. And you trim them from a week down to three days. Four count on Sunday because most of them will come on Sunday. But if it's, it's during the fall and you have a Monday night football game, watch out, he ain't coming. Poor old President Obama changed his uh, speech from Wednesday for the Republican debate till Thursday. It's opening of the NFL season. Bless his heart. Bless his heart. He can't win, can he? <laughs> Bless his heart. Poor Republicans, they had to have a Dedicated night for them to get up and spout off a bunch of garbage that nobody cares about anyway. But his audience would be smaller because of Monday night football or Thursday night football. Cindy and I were talking about that last night, how many people are so excited about OU and TU. <laughs> so excited. She goes, she goes, the world's going in, in such a terrible way. <laughs> people got to get excited about something. <laughs> so excited about football season. Some people don't even like football, like it just because it's a diversion from the way life is. But I'm telling you, we've got an opportunity here. We've got an opportunity. He, he made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul said in Ephesians 2.14, For he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. Wow. So the question really remains. Why don't we do as believers what Christ has called us to do as believers? Why don't we do that? Why don't we do that? Do you realize that our church could double in size if everyone that's in our church would decide in the next 12 months to bring one person who will identify with Christ and identify themselves with our church? We would double in size. And you might say, well, preacher, why is that important? People, numbers aren't important. Oh, yes, they are. Because every number represents a soul that Jesus died for. Now, I'm, I am encouraging you to get new people. I'm not 
people that don't know Christ. I don't want you to go to one church and rob others and bring them over. That ain't what I'm talking about. That's stealing sheep. I'm not after that. Wouldn't hurt. We could use some of them because I know they're at churches that aren't any good. I got you. I understand. Preachers don't love them like I love you. I understand. But our real focus ought to be on those that aren't going anywhere, that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's plenty of them out there. The unchurched, I call them. The disenfranchised people who for some reason got upset and stopped going. Man, we need to find them. We need to encourage them. Where's that fear of God? Do we realize and remember that we're going to stand before God's judgment throne? And he's going to ask us, why should I let you into my heaven? I hope there's going to be people pop up that say, because I'm here because of him or her. I'm here because they told me about your son, Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome? That'd just be awesome. It'd be bad if he asked that question, why should I let you into heaven? And there's deathly silence. But here's the great news. It won't be silent. Not if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the first words you will hear will be the words of Jesus who say, Father, He's one of mine. Father, my blood's covering Him. And the Father will look down and say, Come in, you good and faithful servant. It's been prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, if you get there and you don't have a relationship with Him, you get there and he says, why should I let you into heaven? And Jesus doesn't stand up instantly and say he's one of mine. Guess who is going to stand up and claim you? The devil is. And the words of God will be, depart from me. I don't even know who you are. You don't want to hear those words. You don't want to hear those words. As we prepare for our invitation, pray with me, please. God, I just got to ask you tell us in Scripture that the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. We have so many people with a head knowledge, but they're not in a relationship. Oh, they can spout off the answers. They can quote verses. But they're just not in a relationship with you the way they should be. And God, I know that life happens. I, I know that. I know that it's tough. It is tough out here in this world to stay focused. I mean, we've got bills to pay, schedules to keep, uh, families to raise, and it seems like there's tugs on every moment of our life. We can't hardly even breathe and take a minute's rest and go, ah, because life has just gotten so hectic. But God, I'm praying that in the midst of our busyness, we will stop and pause for a brief moment. And that's really all you need is a brief moment. And just look to you. And when we look to you, oh, oh, the windows of heaven will open. When we look to you, and then when we speak to you, oh, the windows of heaven open. When we look to you and we speak to you, and then we act for you. Oh my goodness, the blessings flow and we feel you touch us. God, sharing our faith is not optional. 
We've got to cultivate that discipline in our lives as we grow deeper and deeper in our walk with You. God, You have not called us to be successful. You've called us to be faithful. You never call us because of our ability, but You call us because of our availability. So God, as we contemplate developing further our spiritual disciplines, this one of evangelism, the toughest that's to do, would You be there to help us? Could we call out to You and know that You are present for us? Will we be available, as Paul encouraged in this chapter, to be Your ambassador? God, there's somebody here that might need to just spend some time in repentance. You're not concerned about them spilling their guts to mankind. You're more interested in hearing their heart as they cry out to you. So God, we've got places here in the front they can do that. There might be people here who say, yeah, I need a church home. I need to plug in and plant my roots and be an effective a Christian in this community. Well, we'd love to talk to them about that. Perhaps there's some that uh, have never met you in, in a personal relationship, uh, need uh, to consider baptism in their life. Would love to have the opportunity to teach that as well. But God will never know unless they tell us. We stand ready. We stand as your arms, your feet, your hands, your mouths, your eyes, your ears. We're here to serve because you served us first. If there's anybody here, God, that needs to decide something, to change something, may they do it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this great song. If God's moving you, would you move? Our elders will be here.